to see all of you here. I'm glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here. If you are one of our guests, we hope you will stick around after services. Let us get to know you, and you get to know us just a bit better. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. As you are turning in your Bibles there, let me just remind you, we are ascending to the summits of several of the mountains that we find in Scripture. We are journeying through a veritable mountain range this month as we make our journey to Christmas, and this week we come to the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Let us read the text. Hear now the word of the true and living God. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, we will, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Let us pray. We, like the disciples, Father, desire to see Jesus only this morning. We pray that you would enable us to do just that by your Spirit in our inner being. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Just uh, briefly, I want to show you a painting that is on display in the Vatican. This is Raphael's painting of the Transfiguration, one of the grand painters uh, of yesteryear. And actually, the painting is two scenes. On top, you have the Transfiguration, and below, you have the uh, next episode, as it were, that follows the Transfiguration, when uh, Jesus is confronted with a man who brings his son who is demon-possessed. If you take a closer look at these, here's the transfiguration event. Uh, Elijah and Moses on either side of Jesus. Jesus kind of hovering here. The disciples who have fallen asleep awaking to the bright light. Uh, here's uh, one of the disciples is praying. You have other disciples off here praying as well. Uh, but uh, Peter, James, and John here on the ground at the glory of Jesus. And then if you look at the bottom portion more closely, what is fascinating here, you have a, a number of different characters who are in various positions. This man's holding what looks like probably a Bible. Uh, what is interesting here is Raphael, this woman is supposed to represent the church. And, and the church is 
she's kneeling here. She's pointing at the boy, the demon-possessed boy, looking at the apostles, the, the church ever looking to the apostles to do something about what's in the world, and that is looking to the Word, to Scripture. The disciples, they don't really know what to do. Uh, but the only person, the only face that's turned up toward the glorified Lord is the face of the boy who's demon-possessed, almost as if the demons know what's coming. But you also notice there are folks who are gesturing upwards, and if you look at the, the whole picture, they're pointing, of course, to the glorified Lord, though they don't realize it. A lot of symbolism going on here on the canvas that uh, Raphael painted so many years ago. It's always fascinating that the symbolism that the uh, grandmasters utilized in their paintings and what they were trying to communicate through their work. But of course, we want to move beyond the canvas, as it were. We want to see and find the, the meaning and the significance of this event that took place on the mountain. We're not told which mountain specifically. There have been suggestions uh, throughout the years. Scripture just does not tell us. But there is something for us here in this spectacular event, something of deep significance. And it is this, that the Father reveals Christ's identity on this mountain for our benefit. The Father is revealing the identity of His Son on this mountain for our benefit. This is why the Mount of Transfiguration is so vital and so important. It is on this mountain that we have the revelation of Christ's identity by no less than the Father. Look again here at the text in verse 5. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. We see, first of all, the phrase, my Son. Jesus is the Son of the Father. And so, being identified here are two parties. There are uh, there's both Christ who is identified, and then there is also the Father. The one who speaks from the cloud is identified, and He is the Father, God the Father. Our Father even in heaven. That is the voice from the cloud. So it's not a voice of a human. It is not a voice of an angel. It is none other than the voice of God the Father that identifies my Son. And so that identifies the voice from the cloud, the Father in heaven. But then the Father is the one who identifies the Son as my Son. Jesus is the Father's Son. He is distinct from Moses and Elijah, these great servants and prophets of the Old Covenant. But that Christ is the Father's Son shows that He is greater than Moses and greater than Elijah. He is not merely a servant. He's not merely a prophet. He is the Son even the Father's Son. And we also need to make a distinction here about this sonship. He is not a son like humans and angels are by creation. And He's also not a son like we as Christians are. We're sons by adoption. Christ is the Son of God by nature. It is according to His nature that He is the eternal Son even the second person of the Godhead. In Himself, He is God the Son. And so He is my Son, but more than that, 
Jesus is the Father's beloved Son. This is my beloved Son. And indeed, the Father does love the Son. Jesus, in His earthly ministry, acknowledged this in John chapter 10 and verse 17. John 10, 17, Jesus says here, For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Jesus, He is loved by the Father. The, the Father loves the Son. We, we should not race past this. There is deep and profound significance and meaning in this phrase as well. You see, it is from eternity that the Father has loved the Son. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit have existed from eternity in a relationship of love one for the other. Before all time, the Father loved the Son, and the Son loved the Father. And the Father and the Son love the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit loves the Father and the Son. You understand that this is the triune nature of the love that exists within the Godhead, and that then pours out, spills over, as it were, into time, space, and history. Not just in the creation of the world, but in the second person of the Godhead taking on human form and human nature. You see, it is not that the Father began to love the Son. No, the, the Father has always loved the Son. And He will never cease to love the Son. And so, all throughout His life, here on earth, the Father loves the Son. He loves Him in the incarnation. The Father loves the Son when the boy Jesus is in the temple. The Father loves the Son when Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. The Father loves the Son with every miracle, every teaching and, and preaching opportunity, every good deed that the Son ever did. The Father loves the Son. And of course, the Father loves the Son even as the Son is obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He was is and ever will be the beloved Son of the Father. The Father so loved the Son, which is important for us as well. This is more than just a, a theological point. It is a theological point, a very significant one. But it's also important for us. You see, because of our union with the Son, the Father loves His children. It is the love of the Father directed to the Son and, and the Son being united to His people. The Father loves us. And in the same way, this is why Scripture can talk about the love that God has for Christ's people as an everlasting love. is because the Father loved the Son. The Father, just rest in that for a moment, would you? The Father loves you. And it's because He loves the Son. This is my beloved Son. Notice, with whom I am well pleased. Ah, Jesus is the, the pleasure of the Father. That is, the Father delights in the Son. The Son pleases the Father. The Son, He always does what is pleasing to the Father. He is obedient to the Father in all things. But the Father takes pleasure in the Son as His Son. 
See, the Father has eternally delighted in His Son. That the, the Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit existed in a pleasing relationship as well. They delighted in one another. And now that the Son has taken on human form, we see that the Father is pleased with the obedience that the Son is rendering. Everything that the Son does is pleasing to the Father, but especially this is true in the work of redemption. You see, when Jesus is dying on the cross, He is accomplishing our redemption in that He is restoring relationship between God and people where once there was enmity, now there is peace, now there is friendship between heaven and earth because of what Jesus has done. And so the Father is pleased in that. The Father is pleased in the Son bringing sinners into the presence of God. And that's what Jesus is, is doing. When the just dies in the place of the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, Christ is bringing people, even His people, to the Father. And the Father is delighted in that. The Father is pleased in the Son's work in redemption. Yes, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased, says the Father about the Son. This is the identity of the Son. This is the Father <clears throat> in no uncertain terms, very clearly identifying who the Son is. Well, why is that important? Well, the rest of the verse, verse 5 says, Listen to Him. The Father commands that the Son be heard. Listen to Him. This is why I had uh, John read for us earlier from Deuteronomy chapter 18. Go back and take a, a closer look at that text briefly. This is a prophecy where God, through Moses, is promising that He would raise up a prophet for the people like Moses. Uh, the Lord God, Yahweh your God, will raise up for you a people like me from among you, from your brothers, that is from the Jewish people, and Jesus, of course, is Jewish, it is to Him you shall listen. Or if we can put that uh, in, in terms that maybe we recognize from the Matthew 17 account, listen to Him. That's the connection. That's the allusion that we are supposed to make here is you are to listen to Him. And this also affirms here in Deuteronomy 18 that Christ spoke the words of God. We read here in verse 18, let's read it again, Deuteronomy 18, 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among your, their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them all that I commanded him. Again, Christ, when he comes, he, one of the things he says in John's gospel, I don't speak of my own authority. In other words, I don't speak from myself, and it's supposed to clearly identify that he, he is not operating in a disharmonious way from the Father. Rather, there is perfect union and perfect unity between the Father and the Son. Of course, Christ is going to speak what is given to Him by the Father. He's the obedient Son. He's the well-pleasing Son. And so, here again, I will put my words in His mouth. That's what Jesus spoke. He clearly speaks the words of God, and Jesus is He's a prophet like Moses. He's even greater than Moses. That's the idea of the transfiguration. Why at the end of this, you come to the phrase, they only saw Jesus. Jesus only. 
Because as great as Moses and Elijah are, they are not the Son of God. And so since this is the case, and because of who Jesus is, He's God's beloved Son, He's always doing what pleases the Father, the appropriate response is, listen to Him. And there are consequences if you don't. At the end of verse 19 in Deuteronomy 18, you, you saw the phrase there, well, the whole verse, and whoever will not listen to my words that I shall speak in my, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it from him. It's a very serious thing not to listen to the greater prophet, not to listen to even the son as he speaks the words of God. I will require it of him. Now, why is it that this voice comes from heaven? Well, it's certainly not for Christ's benefit. He knew who he was. He knew he spoke the words of the Father. He knew he need, that people need to listen to him. Uh, that unless people repent and obey him, they will likewise perish. Well, as you think about it and reflect on this incident where there was a voice from heaven, you may want to make the connection to John chapter 12 and verse 30 where there is another voice that comes from heaven, where the Father there says that uh, I have glorified my name and I will glorify it again. And then in verse 30, verse 29, the people are kind of confused about what they've heard. Is it an angel? No, it's thunder. And Jesus says in verse 30, clears it up. He says, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. That voice you heard from heaven, that's for your benefit. That's for your sake. And in a similar way, as we come back to Matthew 17, the voice that comes from heaven out of the cloud, that's not for Christ's benefit. It is for the benefit of these disciples. And by extension, it is for the benefit of disciples even today, for us. It is for our benefit that in this moment, the Father is testifying and identifying who the Son is and commanding that He be heard. In that moment, the Father's testimony was intended to affirm the disciples' faith, intended to confirm their faith, that they have not believed in vain, but that their faith is properly placed in Christ as the Son. It is a well-placed faith. Indeed, it is true for us today. Our faith is well-placed in Christ, and it is because He is the beloved Son in whom the Father is pleased, and therefore we listen to Him and we obey Him. It is good, it is right, it is pleasing to God that we listen to Christ. And by listen, what we mean is we not only listen to His teaching, we not only hear the words, but we obey it. Historically, there have been theologians who've identified that there are uh, three things that are necessary for hearing with obedience. Number one, you need the sound that comes to the ear. But they recognize, you know, e even animals can hear a noise, right? Like, like when you're at home and you're talking to your pet, I mean, they, they hear you when you call, right? And you could read the Bible aloud to them. They would hear a sound, but they wouldn't understand it. Ah, that's the next step, is you need the sense and understanding of what the text says. But again, there's a recognition that even unbelievers can read the text and, and understand it. That it's written in intelligible speech. Ah, but then there's the third thing that is needed, and that is the ascent of the mind. That is a bending of the will to hear and uh, listen to. And that's what disciples do. Disciples are the ones who actually hear in order to obey and to put into practice what Jesus says, they, that, that we consent to Christ. We consent to His Lordship over our life. 
and His kingship to rule from the throne of our hearts. Yes, it's for our benefit that we listen to Jesus and to Jesus only. Look again at verse 8, Matthew 17, 8. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. All other voices fade. You know why? Because Jesus' words abide. His words continue forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus says, but my words will never pass away. He is the unique Son of God. He is the only Redeemer. He is the only Savior. He's the only hope for all humankind. He's the only way to God. He's the only hope for sinners. He's the only hope for anybody. Indeed, salvation is found in no other name except the name of Jesus. We have a very important question, a life or death question, and it confronts every single human, every single person. And that life or death question, we have an answer to in Jesus. God has given us no one but Jesus only. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. Well, I mean, we know the rest of the gospel, don't we? He goes to Mount Calvary, which we'll look at next week. He dies on a cross. He's buried. He's resurrected three days later. Forty days later, He's ascended to the Father's right hand. He's not here anymore. He's up in heaven at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf, thank God, right, as our mediator. But, uh, yeah, how do we listen to Him today? How do we listen to Jesus? And the reality is that for many people, what they want is an experience. They want the bright cloud, the bright light. They want the thunderous voice from heaven. But it's kind of like James and John when they come asking to sit at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus, he says to them, you don't know what you're asking for. People really don't know what they want. They think they want that. But we know that when folks had a close encounter of the divine kind at Mount Sinai, uh, Moses, you go talk to him. We're going to stay down here. We don't, we don't dare draw near. Regardless, there are those who do want some kind of personal, charismatic experience, some kind of close encounter of the divine kind. And not a few people have claimed that. Not a few of the TV evangelists, TV preachers have claimed to have heard the voice of the Lord, and it sounds like this. God told me. The Lord told me this. And then there are, of course, our, our Mormon friends. They've, they've had an experience. They've had a burning in the bosom, as they call it. That divine experience, as it were. And it is these kind of alleged ethereal experiences which are then pressed into service in order to justify that person's teaching or behavior, which is often unbiblical teaching and ungodly behavior. God told me it's okay. You know, I'm, because I've had this experience, I'm at peace with this because Jesus, because the Lord told me, because, because, because. Come with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. How is it that we listen to Him today? Well, what is especially noteworthy in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, 
Second Peter, written by an apostle, the apostle Peter, who was one of the three that went up on the mountain with Jesus that day. He lived with Jesus for over three years during Christ's earthly ministry. He had had that moment on the mountain. And in addition to that, he had witnessed all the miracles. He had heard all the divine teaching. And again, notice what he talks about here. He says, uh, beginning in verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Peter, when was that? For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom... Uh, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And so, again, here is Peter, and he says, yeah, we were there. We saw when he received honor and glory from God the Father. We were eyewitnesses. We heard ourselves, we ourselves heard the very voice born from heaven. What an impressive experience that must have been. And yet, what is it that Peter appeals to? Verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a light, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What is it that Peter appeals to? The Scriptures. He points these readers, he points us to the prophetic word. That is how you listen to him today. It's through the prophetic word, which is more fully confirmed. It is more certain, even than that authentic divine encounter that they had on the mountain. Because that moment on the mountain is just for the moment. Scripture, it continues. It has been preserved across time and space so that even today you can have your own hard copy and your own electronic copy as well if you want that too. The prophetic word, more fully confirmed, more certain, and notice you would do well to pay attention to that prophetic word. To listen to Jesus means that you must pay attention to the Scriptures. Because in the Scriptures, we have the words of Christ. And that is it. The, the Word is enough. The way we listen to Jesus today is through the Scriptures. And it's such a tragedy that so many people hear that and they think, but the Bible, that's so ordinary, that's so blah. And that's why they crave that experience, that divine thing, right? Let me get this straight. The living and active Word of God, which we have in our Bible, is blah to you? For the sanctified heart, it is more than enough. For the sanctified heart, it is enough. There's nothing... There's nothing fantastic here, nothing mysterious. Right? We, we've talked for weeks, months, as we've gone through 1 John, about those Gnostic teachers who had that ethereal experience, 
And if you come to me and for the low, low price of, you too can have what I, I'll share it with you. No, you have it right here, brothers and sisters. You have the word, the prophetic word, more certain, and we do well to pay attention to it. It is the voice of that great prophet. And it is enough. You see, experiences and those alleged divine encounters, those can be wrong. But the Word of God is never wrong, and you can never go wrong listening to Him through His Word. And it is through His Word that God will teach everything you need for life and godliness. It is His divine power that has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's what Peter says back in verse 3 of the same chapter. 2 Peter 1, verse 3. And so, the Mount of Transfiguration. It is on this mountain that we see Jesus. It is here on this mountain that the Father reveals the identity of His Son. And, and even one of those who, those who, who were, on, they were on, He was on that mountain that day. And he had that ethereal experience. Peter, he was an eyewitness. He says that as awe-inspiring as that experience was, we need to pay close attention to the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to the prophecy of Scripture. You see, it is in the Scriptures that we come to know the beloved Son who was pleasing, well-pleasing to His Father. And it is through the prophetic word, the Scriptures, that we come to be sons of the Father who do that which is well-pleasing to Him. Listen to Him. Let us pray. We thank You, Father, that You have revealed to us that Jesus is Your beloved Son and You are pleased with Him. And that we ought to listen to Him. We pray, Father, that we would be diligent in hearing the words of Christ, which are even the words of Scripture. That all of the Bible, the Old and the New Testaments, all point to Jesus. Stoke within us, fan into flame, a fire for Your Word. Cause us to hunger and thirst for righteousness and even to pant like the deer for Your living Word. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.